When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey everybody, welcome to our Browns post-game podcast. The Browns 27-25 winners over the Jacksonville Jaguars. This is the version of our podcast that we do with our Football Insider subscribers via Zoom after every game. If you want to get involved in this, all you have to do is check out Football Insider. Go to cleveland.com slash Browns. Click on the blue banner up at the top of the page to get more information. Get signed up. Get involved in our texting service, which is what we send this out to after the game every single week. And we have them on to... Uh, talk all things Browns, and you want to get involved in this now because the Browns have a huge game next week. Win or lose, it's going to be a fun post-game show next week after the Browns play in Nashville. So go to cleveland.com slash Browns and check it out. Hey, everybody. Welcome to our post-game Orange and Brown Talk podcast. I am Dan Lobby, joined by Mary Kay Cabot in Jacksonville. I am at home for this weekend, but Mary Kay is in Jacksonville. Mary Kay, how are you? I'm doing great, Dan. How are you doing? Doing well, and we'll have uh, Doug joining us, Scott Patsko, Ellis Williams, the whole gang will jump in as we go along here. But first, Mary Kay, you and I are going to talk about this game, a 27-25 squeaker for the Browns. Uh, they did not have a lot of, they, I mean, let's be honest, this whole game, for the most part, they didn't have their three best defensive players. Uh, but they managed to kind of work around some things. You know, Baker Mayfield had good moments and bad moments, same for the defense. But I guess for me, the bottom line here is the Browns won a football game. They're in a playoff chase and they won their eighth game. And again, they remain uh, on that inside track to make it to the playoffs. Yeah, absolutely. 100%. Once again, they did what they had to do and it should not have been this close. They should not uh, play a team that just lost 10 straight games and have it be this close where you had to worry about it on the very last drive. But they did do uh, what they had to do. And, uh, and they come out of here at eight and three, the most victories since 2007. Uh, as you mentioned, they did it without, you know, Miles Garrett's, uh, Denzel Ward, Sione Takitaki, Porter Gustin. But I think that was kind of canceled out by the fact that, that the Jaguars have as many injuries as the Browns do. So I don't think that they can pat themselves too much on the back for, uh, for being depleted because I think the Jaguars uh, were, were equally thin during this game. Yeah, I, I mean, look, the, this, is, this is a team the Browns had to beat regardless, you know, whether they had all their guys or not. Whether you had, you know, Miles Garrett, Denzel Ward, Ronnie Harrison all pretty much missed the entire game. Harrison was hurt on like the first play. Um, but, you know, you, you've got to beat this team. Let's talk about Baker Mayfield. I think we're going to spend a lot of time talking about Baker Mayfield on this post-game podcast. So during this opening segment here, let's you and I talk about Baker Mayfield. It starts pretty good. Um, Had the touchdown to Jarvis Landry, Baker's first touchdown pass of the month. Jarvis Landry's first touchdown catch of the season. I thought it was a really nice throw. Baker said it was a play they've been working on since OTAs. Um, So it was good to see that come through. But then Baker misses two throws in the end zone. This was such a... This is such a tough game, I guess, to read for Baker because you had the you had the misses. There was the Kareem Hunt miss late in the game, but then you also had some throws that were like, "Whoa!" I mean, that that was a perfect ball, perfect throw. 
I think this is just the Baker Mayfield experience in 2020. Yeah, it is. And it, it's not the kind of experience that, uh, that, that he needs to be having. He, he needs to make those throws into the end zone. Uh, you know, you can't, you can't have what he did last week where he had uh, two missed throws in the end zone to tight ends and then come back this week and miss two throws again into the end zone. You can't do that. And, you know, I, I remember once, uh, I think it was one of my kids, you know, we, we praised them for doing something they were supposed to do. And they said, don't praise me for doing things that I'm supposed to do. So, you know, we, we don't need to over praise uh, Baker Mayfield for hitting an open Austin Hooper in the, in the back of the end zone, because that's what you're supposed to do. Uh, now he did make a lot of really nice throws. He made some really good throws, you know, threaded, threaded it right in there uh, to Jarvis Landry and Jarvis uh, always helps out with some really, really nice receptions. I thought Kadero Hodge did the same thing. Uh, th these are some really good receivers. Um, so yeah, it was, it was up and down. And when you are, and the reason why, uh, I'm being hard on him right now is because you have to be the Brown, the coaches are hard on him. He's hard on himself after those kind of throws, you, you got to make those, you know, you have to make those just like you have to make a fourth and in inches, or you have to make a third and in inches, you know, you got to make that throw too. So they won the game and that was amazing that they came down here and they won the game and they're eight and three and that's great. Uh, but they got to keep. They've got to keep the pedal to the metal, and they've got to keep uh, trying to get better if they want to be uh, a really, really good football team that can hang with uh, those seeds that are above them. Right, and we're going to get to see a lot from Baker here coming up. Uh, they've got Tennessee in a week, and Tennessee won today. They absolutely smoked Indianapolis. Derrick Henry is December Derrick Henry already. Uh, he's a couple days early, but he is December Derrick Henry. He's ready to finish the season strong like he always does. Uh, and then you've got to play Baltimore on Monday night. Now, we don't know what Baltimore is going to look like when they come to town for that game. Everyone knows what's going on with them. Uh, but these are kind of the two, I guess these upcoming games are the two games we've been waiting for, for Baker Mayfield. These are the games where we're really going to figure out, you know, ha has he developed? Has he taken those steps? Is he the quarterback that, that can win these types of games? This game today against Jacksonville, I don't think we were ever going to learn a lot about this football team unless they came out and just laid a complete egg and, and lost this game. Uh, instead, they took a tough week. They overcame some obstacles and, and they won. Let's talk about Kevin Stefanski real quick, because I think, you know, maybe this will age, not age well when I go back and look at the game and rewatch it, but I feel like this was maybe Stefanski's shakiest game. There were some decisions that were questionable. I, I think, I think maybe he tried a little too hard to kind of get Baker going this week against a bad defense when you probably could have just come out and ridden your running backs to an easy win. Um, the decision not to kick the field goal. I understand wanting to be aggressive and, and maybe try to just win the game there with a conversion, but you know, I, I don't know that in hindsight, that one is really questionable too, because you could have just gone up two scores and then the Olivier Vernon hit doesn't matter. None of that stuff matters. So you know, I thought Stefanski, for his part, kind of had one of his shakiest games today, but again, found a way to win. Yeah, and he, he did. He, he said he pointed the finger at himself on a number of things, and I think he will uh, be, you know, going back and, and doing the after-action report after some of those decisions that you're talking about and maybe questioning certain things, like even, uh, you know, even starting starting in the empty, uh, the empty yeah. set uh, and Baker taking that sack on that, uh, you know, on the first play. You know, they just didn't start out uh, the way that you want to start the football game. Sometimes that sets the tone for the game. Uh, but again, as you mentioned, 
they overcame a lot of things that did not go their way, including, um, in, you know, including the loss of Ronnie Harrison on the first play of the game. Okay, and one of the things that happened in that regard was uh, Sandejo came through with some big plays. Okay, he had a couple of nice pass breakups, uh, and he also, uh, you know, intercepted the two point conversion. So he came up big when he needed to. The other guy that came up really big today that needed a big game for his own psyche uh, and for the good of the team was Jarvis Landry. Uh, you know, Jarvis needed to get untracked. He needed to feel good about himself. He had his golden birthday yesterday, 28 on the 28th. And, um, you know, and he had a 143 yard game and caught his first touchdown pass. It's amazing that he caught his first touchdown pass this late in the season, but that is the truth. Uh, so it was good for him. He said over and over and over again, our best football is ahead of us. And that's good because it's going to need to be, you know, you can't, you're not going to be able to miss on, uh, not make it on third and inches and fourth and inches against the Titans, against the Ravens, against the Steelers. You're not going to be able to miss throws in the end zone. So they need to bring it up a notch. And so it, it was nice to hear Jarvis say that. Yeah, I, I got the feeling today, and, and I actually really liked this just in talking to these guys. And again, we're not in the locker room. We're doing this stuff on Zoom. But I got the feeling today, you know, these guys weren't like celebrating this win like they just won a playoff game or were headed to the Super Bowl or won the North or whatever. I mean, they they just were treating it, at least when they were talking to us, like they took care of business. It's on to the next week. And, and maybe that's because, look, they knew there were things that they need to clean up and there were things, you know. There were things that they need to do better. And this is a one and nine, now one in 10 football team that they beat who just fired their GM right after the game. So, yeah. uh, you know, they know, I, I just felt like they had a sense of the moment in this game. And, and I think in years past, a win like this, we're seeing, and, you know, we'll probably see some locker room celebrations and stuff and all that's fine. But I just felt like the tone after this game was what you should have if you're a team that is aiming higher and wants to make the playoffs and maybe even win a playoff game. Yeah, you know, like uh, Kevin Stefanski uh, put it after the game, you know, they made it harder on themselves than it needed to be. I mean, they really did make it hard on them, themselves. This is a team, as we just mentioned, that has lost 10 straight games. They just fired their GM and they were starting against a quarterback who was making his first start since 2017. And they had many, many really good players that also were not playing for the Jaguars, including Josh Allen, their best defensive end, including uh, their starting wide receiver. Uh, so this was was not a game that you would have expected uh, that the Browns would be strong, you know, trying to hang on to pull it out in the end. But that is exactly what happened. So they're going to have to play better going forward. But yes, people should get excited about this. They are the they've got the top seed among the three wild card teams right now, and uh, you know they it, it's they're in a great position. I mean, this is the best record that they've had since 1994 that's a heck of a long time ago so um you know so so good for them for for getting to this point um, but as you mentioned uh, depending on what happens with the ravens and they are in disarray right now absolute disarray depending on what happens with them and their ability to come back from uh, their covid crisis uh, the browns have a couple of tough games coming up in the next two weeks and they must pick it up a notch. Now, you know, again, I think the big, for me, my big takeaway today, though, is this team did take care of business against a team you're supposed to take care of. You know who didn't today? The Raiders. Uh, you know, they went, they went to Atlanta, and they lost that game, and now they're chasing the Browns. Yeah. Um, so, 
you know, sometimes it's just survive in advance. And that's what the Browns had to do today. They did it without their three best defensive players. They overcame some, some tough, some tough breaks, some tough obstacles. Yep. Really crazy call. Uh, I mean, look, that Olivier Vernon call, right? The Browns got on the field and they stopped the two point try about two or three minutes later, the Arizona Cardinals lost a game because of a similar call. So (laughs) we've, we've kind of reached the point where it's just about winning and, you know, now you get to go next week and try and prove it against Tennessee. Who's playing, who's starting to play well again. And then Baltimore who can't say they're playing well, who knows what Baltimore is going to look like, but now you've really got a chance. You've set it up where you can really go and prove it now the next two weeks. Yes, absolutely. They're, they're in a great position. Uh, their chances of making the playoffs are excellent. And if Jarvis is right, then fans should have a lot to get excited about because if they are starting to put it together, if they do start to put it all together and that their best football is ahead of them, uh, you know, then they will be really kind of well positioned when it does come time uh, to actually go out there and play a playoff game. All right. Mary Kay, we will let you go. I know you've got to go uh, get started writing. So we'll let you go. Doug, uh, Doug just joined in. So uh, I'll talk to you later. Okay. Thanks a lot. Okay. So the Browns 27 to 25 winners in Jacksonville. Um, They are now eight and three on the season, which is Mary Kay mentioned the first time since 1994. If you're interested, here's a little symmetry for you. The Browns, when they were eight and three in 1994, they played the Houston Oilers the next week. And the Houston Oilers, of course, as many of you should know, went on to become the Tennessee Titans. So if you like weird, useless symmetry, there you go. I've, I've got it for you. Um, Shannon Ryder says, who cares? I don't know if that's in response to me or, <laughs> or, or maybe he's in response to Alex Santos, who... Um, said something about the Browns and their chances in the wild card. Uh, so anyway, Doug Maurice has joined us here and I want everyone to know if you want to get involved, this is your opportunity to do so. Um, all you've got to do is raise your hand and I will call on you. You can go into the chat as well uh, and leave your comments in there. We, we read that stuff as we go along. Um, and then also if you want to jump on video, you can do that. It looks like Scott is jumping in as well. So while I'm getting Scott set up, Doug, I mean, your immediate takeaway from this game. Uh, the same as the last five weeks. Can we just cut? Can we just run a rerun of sure, the past post game shows? Baker's inconsistent. The run game is offense. The defense isn't very good other than Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward, and they won. So, like, I'm not going to storm out, but I might not stick around very long because I, I, I think last week I challenged everyone if they beat the Jaguars, let's not have a full podcast full of butts. I mean, there are obvious butts in this game, but they're eight and three. So yeah. I don't know what else there is to say. It's the same conversation every week, which is like a good winning conversation. But I also, I mean, I don't I mean, I know Jarvis Landry and Joel Batonio said at postgame, I've been saying for weeks that I think their best football is ahead of them. And it's, it was not this week. This was weird. Mike Lennon stinks, but he made a couple plays. They have all their best defensive players are gone. And then in a close game, the run game puts it away and Baker misses throws and makes throws. I don't know. It's like, is this what it's like to have to cover a winning football team? It's just the <laughs> same all the time. Literally every, the last five weeks since I went back and listened to the post game pod from the Steelers game. Cause I wanted to see what we were saying then. And by the way, what I was saying then is exactly what I'm saying now that I didn't care about the Steelers game. They were good. They're going to win. It's the same stuff. So the, all they do is win. I don't know. Is that a song? All they do is win. It is. Win, it no is. matter what. 
It's from 20 well, years it, ago. That's all they do. I, I don't think Baker. I don't think Baker quoted rap lyrics today. So, uh, so no, I think was, you're filling in for him. Baker was getting was too busy getting mad about me trying to have a little fun. He said the f word at the Jaguars. I was just trying to joke around. It was not a gotcha question. Everybody listening to this in the podcast, you heard him say it right on the broadcast. He was doing his hard count, and the Jag shifted on the defensive line, and he said. That was effing cute, guys, which is hilarious. And we only heard it because there's nobody in the stands. So I thought I'd ask him about it, see if he'd say something funny. He got kind of bad. It's fine. It was not a gotcha question. I'm just trying to have fun with an eight and three team. I apologize for that. Well, well, Doug, you shouldn't feel bad because there was a reporter that took a shot um, at Baker quoting rap lyrics, actually, like what we just talked about this week and uh, kind of was asking, you know, why are you doing that? Do you have a, is it, is it a bet? Is it something else? And Baker did not engage in that conversation. So it's not just you. It's uh, he's, he's just doing this stuff and then not talking about it. But uh, Scott Patsko is here. Ellis Williams is here as well. So Scott, uh, you just heard Doug. What do you have to say about this game? You know, the Jaguars were missing one crucial ingredient in this game. They did not have their, their Tim Misney. It's time <laughs> to make them pay clock that I have here. And I know people listening to this can't see it, but on the video you can see it clearly says it's time to make them pay. And if the Jaguars had something like this, maybe they would have realized that the Browns are trying to, you know, rescue defeat from the jaws of victory. Uh, but beyond that, I mean, this, this is a, a game that shows how far the Browns have come. I mean, the Browns used to be that Jaguars team that would lose a close game and you'd come away thinking, man, that other team made so many mistakes and it was really there for the taking. Uh, but they just couldn't do it for whatever reason. But now the Browns are on the other side of that. And, you know, they, they made the plays they had to make. Uh, and it's not just the offense. Um, you know, it's a defense. I mean, Sandejo had a huge play. B.J. Goodson knocks away a pass at the goal line, which was huge. You know, every week this defense is making maybe two or three plays that really help decide the game. And, you know, whether or not they got Miles Garrett and Denzel Ward out there or not, they seem to, to come up with those, with those wins. And I know it was the Jaguars, but like Doug said, they're eight and three and, you know, this is this is the reality we're living in now. The Browns make these plays to, to beat teams they're supposed to beat. And this week, this coming week, we find out if, if that's going to work against a, you know, quote unquote, good team. Yeah, I mean, let's give this defense some credit here. Ellis Williams just joined us as well, so we'll bring him in in a second. But yeah, I think this defense deserves a certain amount of credit. Like you said, Scott, I mean, they did make some plays in key moments. And yes, it was Mike Lennon. Yes, it was the Jaguars, but you've still got to make those plays. This is still an NFL team you're playing and you didn't have miles Garrett, Denzel Ward and Ronnie Harrison. Those are your three best defensive players. Your defense wasn't that great with those guys, to be honest with you. I mean, it was really miles just wrecking games, Denzel covering like crazy. And, and like I said, Harrison has been getting better and better, but uh, you know, this defense kind of made the plays here and there when they needed to. And I think the Olivier Vernon penalty followed by them stopping that two point try that's kind of one of those moments you overcome some adversity, you know, everything could have gone sideways there. You could have been headed to overtime. It didn't happen. Um, so, so yeah, they, they deserve a lot of credit. The defense and the team as a whole are kind of overcoming those things that could have sidetracked them. Ellis, what did you think? Yeah, I thought today is a <clears throat> shiny example of what it looks like when infrastructure is superior to the opponent. That's what the Browns proved today. They outcoached Jacksonville. That's head coach Kevin Stefanski and his staff doing their job, being prepared, showing up, being ready. And they had a more talented roster than Jacksonville. And 
I know this is a you know a collection of parts from some regimes prior, but this is still Andrew Barry's vision. This offensive line is playing at a level because of the rebuild it went through in the offseason, and that showed today. Once again, Nick Chubb 19, only needs 19 rushes you know, to have well over 100 yards, I believe 140, and score. And th- that's the way both Stefanski and Barry are putting their fingerprints early on in their, in their tenure now, that they can – when things aren't going right, when your quarterback is missing – open guys or when your defense is playing without their three top players and your defensive line can't generate a single sack. I realize the Olivier Vernon thing, thing we, is questionable, but at the end of the day, that is not a sack on the stat sheet. They don't generate a single sack and they're able to hold and not fold in those got to have it two point plays. That's infrastructure. That's when your team isn't working out, you have your, your leader, your head coach getting the job done behind the scenes and your GM doing the heavy lifting early to put players in a position to then be the unit that they have in this offensive line and now a, a secondary that played, you know, that had moments say that we, we maybe surprises. So it wasn't pretty, it was sloppy at times, but again, like Scott said, this is shows how far the Browns have come from a front office standpoint. Okay. So like I said earlier, if you want to jump in, uh, you can use the chat function or you can uh, raise your hand with that participants button. Uh, it'll bring up a panel. You can raise your hand. And uh, we'll bring you on. You can ask your question. Give us your take on the game. Whatever it is you want to say, uh, this is your opportunity. Let's just get the Baker Mayfield discussion out of the way early here, guys. Uh, let's do it this way. How would we grade Baker Mayfield today? Doug, you get to go first. I mean, the same, the same. It's, just, it's however you decide <laughs> half good and half bad, whatever that equals to. I mean, he just makes some unbelievable throws. He's put the, the, the touchdown to Jarvis – you know, it's it. He has to put it outside the defense. The defensive backs on the inside. He has to give Jarvis a chance to make that play. He puts it in exactly the right spot. He has another throw to Jarvis. He put it in exactly the right spot. He made. You can see him. I think the less he has to think, the better off he is. The Higgins play. You can see the reason he double pumped when he missed him in the end zone is the defensive lineman had his hand up at the line of scrimmage. And so he didn't make the initial throw and then he held it. And then he realized how wide open he was. And then he threw it over his head. Sometimes he doesn't feather the ball. I think in a situation, I think maybe he's worried he's going to get picked. So he still is like ripping throws when he has a guy wide open and he could use a little more touch, but it's the continued progress of that. So I don't know. How do you grade like five awesome throws and four or five kind of bad misses? I don't know what the grade is for that. If I were, if I were Baker's teacher, I would say, you're doing some really good stuff here. And I would give the paper back to him and say, I want you to go over these throws again and try to make them again, because I know you know how to do this, but these answers are wrong. So I'm sliding the paper back to Baker by, and I'm believing in him, but he's, he's, some of his equations don't add up when I actually think he understands the material. I'm going to steal Scott's answer for this to stay with the, to stay with the test. I I think the answer Scott gave last week was something along the lines of, I I think I kind of asked something like, do we know who Baker Mayfield is? And I think Scott, you said, I mean, yeah, we kind of keep talking about the same things every week. So maybe we do. Um, Hmm. Is that, I mean, I guess I'm coming around to that way of thinking this is just sort of the Baker Mayfield experience of 2020 right now. Yeah. And I put a poll up after, after the game and people are, are, 47% 47% giving him a B. I mean, and I kind of laid it out too, the way, uh, the way Doug said there, you know, on the one hand, he, you know, he topped hundred, uh, 100 passer rating for the first time in like four games. And, uh, you know, he threw two touchdown passes and then again, he, you know, overthrew 
uh, Richard and had those just really bad passes to wide open players. And then again, he's threading the needle to Landry. So it was really back and forth. And um, I mean, that's, that's Baker Mayfield this year. I think it's really going to be tough at the end of the season. If you're Andrew Barry, do you extend him? Do you do the contract or do you just pick up the option? It's like, it's, oh. he's not making it an easy decision. I don't think. Can we do a post-game podcast that doesn't talk about Baker Mayfield's contract? No offense, Scott, <laughs> but can we just, I get it. I get it. But th- you know, they have to beat Tennessee and Baltimore at some point, you know, right. missing, missing a wide open guy in the end zone is going to cost you a game this year that matters. So I think that's more the issue, but I mean, yeah, he's, he's, he's consistently inconsistent. Yeah, that's the truth. Yeah. He, he, he's hot and he's cold. And when he's hot, it's, it's money throws, it's pinpoint accuracy. And when he's cold, it becomes, you know, a, probably a come on man segment tomorrow on Monday night football that missed to Richard Higgins. And that's what Baker Mayfield is. And when we start thinking about the evaluation process of the position, I think it's important to mention that we see Baker Mayfield succeeding when he's bootlegging, when he's on the move. And I think that is both a perfect marriage of what Kevin Stefanski likes to do and a strength of Baker Mayfield's. Well, I I wouldn't be surprised if the front office now is thinking like, all right, let's find a quarterback that's even better on the perimeter and even better with their feet in the way he can make that play, that quarterback keeper that Kevin Stefanski is so obsessed with even more effective because Baker's not even an athlete enough to on the edge there to keep the ball in those situations, you know, he's moving the pocket to throw. So I think that Kevin Spancy is doing a great job of putting Baker Mayfield in spots to succeed, but that's also because that's what Kevin Spancy would do with any quarterback. So then imagine what you could have if you have an athlete on the perimeter playing into a strength that Kevin Spancy clearly is going to keep in his playbook for a long time coming. So it's, it's hot and cold. And I think that the, the dating process of Baker Mayfield continues while other options are going to, be considered in that front office they'd be silly if they weren't we couldn't do it we couldn't do it we couldn't keep it we were talking about baker bayfield whether he's going to be here next year or not we can't do it we can't do it we can't have it's a single podcast to do we that. do we seven podcasts picture. a week right i know they're eight and three they yeah, have to beat tennessee and baltimore i know not I'm, every not every conversation is about whether they're going to have a new quarterback next year Honestly, i'm, I'm gonna not. give i'm gonna give alex the floor here who put in the chat uh all i know is a scant few years ago we'd have begged for a baker type just don't want to lose sight of that and i do think that's important because i was thinking that while ellis was talking as well something similar that the one thing for certain that we can say about baker mayfield is having him out there unlike when you had kevin hogan starting games and deshaun kaiser and cody kessler and whoever else just the presence of Baker Mayfield does not grind your offense to a halt, which I know is a very low bar, but Baker Mayfield makes throws, not all the time, but he does make throws. Kevin Stefanski doesn't just throw up his arms and say, well, I don't know what to do with this guy. He schemes around him and the Browns are finding a way to make Baker an effective quarterback. And the talent, I think the talent is there. He's probably the most talented quarterback they've had since I don't know when. And certainly, again, there are flaws. There are things that aren't right. There are things that they're going to have to either get fixed or or make decisions about. But at the very least, you can run your offense with Baker at quarterback, and he's going to make some throws, like that touchdown to Jarvis. Uh, There was another throw to Jarvis that was really good. The throw to Austin Hooper in the end zone. He's going to make throws that are positives. Um, 
Is he going to make the giant throw to win you a game against somebody other than Cincinnati? I don't know. We'll find out. But at least there's something there to work with with Baker Mayfield. And I think that's what we've come away from even in a month where he didn't throw a touchdown pass until the end of the month. That's something we've come away from feeling like in this little win streak they're on. And there. Yeah. It's, yeah, I mean, we all heard Stefanski after the game too, when he was asked how Baker played and he said, I thought Baker played. Okay. You know, it wasn't, uh, he saw everything we saw. And I think the, the timing of this game, some has something to do with how noticeable some of those passes were because you're coming off the three weather games and you were expecting, uh, the passing offense to kind of come out of its shell in this game. And it kind of did, it kind of didn't though, you know? So I think just, they just seem more, they were, they were just easier to notice because of the past three games, I think. Okay. Shannon's had his hand up over here for a little while. So I'm going to go to Shannon. As soon as you get that prompt to unmute, you should be able to do that. There you go. Hey everyone. Okay, so going on the Baker talks, I, I think that really and truly, uh, y'all talked about some of the throws today. Some of those throws were absolutely amazing. And then then you have those inconsistencies and, you're good, and you just want to like jump out of your chair and do all that, like y'all said. But what I would like to know, or and, and what I think is there's not been a lot of talk about how he's been through so many different offensive systems and he had, 2020 as we know has been unbelievable for all of us and can he possibly grow in the system the system has only been in process for maybe you know half a year if you want to like take everything into it you know uh, I just want to know y'all's thoughts on that because I don't really hear a lot of thought about the fact that he has not had somebody for or a system for like three straight years. Say anyway. Yeah, and and that's that's part of the discussion with Baker. Obviously, that there hasn't been stability. There hasn't been that ability to to reach the graduate level of a system um, that that you would normally want a guy to do. You know. I, <laughs> I, I will see, right? I, you know, I mean, there's there's rookie quarterbacks that haven't been in systems very long that are having that are doing pretty well. Um, so I, you know, I don't know. We'll, we'll see how he kind of grows into this, and I think we're going to have time to see that. Doug, you mentioned it. I don't think Baker's going anywhere after this year. I don't think anybody, any of us, feel that way. So I think we're going to get a chance to see if he grows into this system. Ellis, you wanted to say something. I, I just want to say. The system isn't all that complicated. This team doesn't have a, a drop back game yet. They haven't been forced to uh, be in those situations really since the Ravens game, which was, you know, seems like another lifetime ago. And Kevin Stefanski keeps Baker Mayfield's workload rather light. Uh, these are first read throws. Um, they're, they're high lows that he just, you know, then says post game that, it, you know, he needs to go low high there in that situation. It's, it's, it's not this um, all offense on Baker Mayfield's shoulders and he's got, has a lot of terminology and things to fix fix up that he has motion the help of motion helping him read offense and gain information's pre-snap it, this is not um you know one of the most complicatedly loaded offenses in football he has and I'll say this too we talked about Baker Mayfield in the red zone and his accuracy 
probably a little better in their first half of the year than we have since the bye week and the weather made things complicated. This was the game where, and Dan, you said it on the post game pod last week that the Browns had an opportunity just to play a complete offensive game of football, you know, run Nick Chubb, run cream hunt, Baker Mayfield can, you know, have a three touchdown game and whatnot. And there, there really shouldn't be much to talk about. This is the Jaguars. They're going to be looking for a quarterback with the number one or number two pick. And they're playing with, a depleted secondary, you know, more than the Browns and just don't be, don't be the talk of the post-game podcast show. How about instead we're, we, there's misses uh, in the red zone. You, we heard in the post-game how frustrated Kevin Stefanski was on the flat throw miss to Kareem Hunt and then his team not being able to convert it on fourth down. It's just a, it's a, it's a strange spot to be in that after playing the Jaguars where, you know, you're still sitting here like, uh, yeah, we could have done this better. You could have done this. Better. This was the, this was the perfect opportunity, and they won the game they needed to win. But at, to wrap this up, it's a lot. I think it's a lot less about the system, and it is we're realizing the type of quarterback Baker Mayfield is. It, it's it's hot and cold, and I don't know how much more of a sample size we're going to need to 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 change that. This was the this was the Jaguars. Hey, um, I, w- I want to. Roman makes a really good point, uh, or I want to put his his. Uh thing you put in the chat out here i'll say this if your quarterback can't do some basics you better have a coach who can clean up a mess it's a little extra i don't know if he's a mess but uh thank god we have a good coach hey look the browns are eight and three we're gonna do a new segment here say something nice about the cleveland browns other than just saying their record what we're gonna say something nice about the team with the fourth best record of the nfl we're gonna change we're gonna change my god this is for doug this is a a break I i got something nice Say I can say something nice, nice. About Cleveland Browns. Scott, go first. Right. Look, if if Baker hits Higgins and Harrison Bryant doesn't fumble, this is probably like like a thirty-one to seventeen game, and and the Jaguars make it a thirty-one to seventeen game by scoring in the final you know two minutes. So, I mean, really, yeah, we're talking about just a couple of plays here that that could have dramatically changed the outcome of this game. So that's nice, right? That's nice. That was nice. I thought that. <laughs> Baker, again, I thought he was thrown off by a hand up on the defensive line in the pocket and it threw him off on the Higgins throw and he missed it. I thought on the Hooper touchdown pass, he got it over a couple outstretched arms on the defensive line. It still was like high, but it was like catchable high to Hooper in the back of the end zone. And I thought that was like he adjusted a little bit, like he screwed one up and then he was better at one. So I know, and I remember very early on, as Ellis mentioned, we were doing, we were saying like a lot of good things. Baker had a couple scrambles on the red zone where he hit guys on the run and found openings. And so some of these misses, especially in the red zone, are going to kill you. I mean, that's, he's working it out. That's why they might lose. They might lose to the Titans because they miss a third down throw in the red zone and have to kick a field goal and they lose by four or whatever. And, you know, that, that, that's the kind of thing. But I thought that that Hooper throw, and we haven't seen a, you know, a lot of Hooper in the offense yet. I thought that was a really, that worked. And that was like, okay, he doesn't miss all the time. That was a good one. I actually noticed that too, with, with the defensive lineman on that play, that he kind of, he put the ball right over a couple outstretched arms there. Um, Alex says that Stefanski is a coach of the year candidate. That's something nice. Ellis, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, this is there is so much comfortability that comes with knowing that this staff is going to be prepared game in and game out and have a game plan that either works from the start or will be adjusted very quickly. They are not caught off guard by 
Um, as soon as a team, other than the Steelers, other, when a team takes away that bootleg, Kevin Stefanski has a counter to that. He will, then can keep Baker in the pocket. Dawson Hooper touched on is a great example of that. He didn't boot Baker on that. He just had him reset in a, in a little more offside pocket and is able to take advantage of a one high safety and keep his wide receiver outside and drop, drop a corner route. That's coaching. That's scheming. That's not saying, hey, my players are better than yours. Go beat this guy one-on-one. This is, it is all a part of a system. And that's why this engine is moving uh, uh, so so cleanly at times, even though we, we talk about this game as if there were sloppy moments. Again, it goes back to how I started this. It's infrastructure being superior than your opponent. The Browns are eight and three. They took care of business in November, and now they have a make or break stretch here in December. This Titans game and the Ravens game following will be season defining games. And rather than going two and one over a, a light November schedule, they they took care of business and they have a chance now to be playing their best football for these next two games that again are season defining. That's as good as you can do as a head coach for Kevin Stefanski. Yeah. They, they have not lost that game that you're not supposed to lose yet. Yeah. But I keep saying is coming. It hasn't happened yet. Uh, they keep checking off these, these games that they're supposed to win. Uh, Mike Sweeney put this name in the chat and it was going to be mine. Jarvis Landry, eight catches, 143 yards and a touchdown. That guy, I think we all knew is a player he's unbelievable I, I mean I thought the one throw to him from Baker and it was a good throw from Baker but I just thought there were a couple plays today where he just outfought the defensive back for the football and he's just so strong and so resilient and so competitive um, when, when Jarvis has it going it's it's something to watch and if we're being honest you know I, th- I think we're starting to see this team missing Odell a little bit because there's not a lot else there in the receiving core. Kaderil Hodge had a nice game. He's, he's made some plays, but he's, he's also still Kaderil Hodge. He's hey, if Odell not, had made those, if Odell had made those three catches that Hodge made, we'd be praising Odell for it because those were huge catches. They were all third downs that kept the drives alive. Uh, one was right before the miss to Higgins. He had to really reach up and got nailed for it. I thought those were really great catches by Hodges. Those, those were good catches. You're, you're right. You're right. I'm glad you said that because I shouldn't diminish how important those catches were. And the one on the sideline was fantastic. But my, my bigger point here is we're not seeing – defenses aren't going to suddenly start to shift towards Kadero Hodge and, and make big adjustments because of Kadero Hodge, I guess, is where I'm getting. And Jarvis Landry, yeah, I thought he outworked some guys for the football today. And just – Every now and again, you have to remind yourself how good he is. You know, you've just got to say, oh, yeah, Jarvis Landry. He's really a, a special player, and, and the Browns are lucky to have him. Um, I want to go to – unless, Doug, you wanted to say something first. I want to go uh, – to, to Ellis's point about the play design, the idea that the first play of the game was that boot and the easy little throw to Jarvis for a big game, like got Jarvis going. I thought that was really smart of like – I thought that like got Jarvis in the groove, and then he started catching everything. All right, I want to go to, I believe it's Parmy. I want to ask you to unmute. And uh, you've got to say something nice about the Browns, too, if you yes. aren't. So. <laughs> okay, so when this COVID hit and everything got shut down, I honestly thought the Browns would struggle in the first up to the bye. No practice, no, no physical practice. We're talking about athletes with no physical practice. I honestly thought that they would struggle through the first eight games and maybe come through at the buy and do a little better at the end of the season. I think it's remarkable what they've done. Everybody touts that the NFL is not like any other sport. It's not like baseball. It's not like anything else. It's a team sport. If one guy makes a mistake, the play fails. And they've done this virtually. Virtually. 
and look where they are. I think it's a miracle. I never in my wildest dreams, even with a week schedule, thought they'd be in this situation. And I think we forget that. I mean, this COVID has affected all of our lives. These guys are trying to conduct professional teams. This isn't just brain work and you're an accountant or teaching online. You're trying to perform any physical a physical game and they're performing without any off season. It's just, we forget that. We think this is like every other season. I think we need to give these guys some credit. I cannot believe they're doing as well as they're doing. I never thought they'd be in this situation, even with the week schedule with no actual practice. So that's my positive thing. My only negative thing is Stefanski needs to learn what a quarterback sneak is. He could make this a lot easier on the team. I um, actually, that's an interesting point because I was a little surprised they didn't sneak it there. He's been very, um, he's done it. He's done it this season. We've seen some quarterback sneaks. I think we saw one on like second down. Roethlisberger sneaks all the time. Now he's big, but a sneak. I mean, what's wrong with a sneak when you got two inches? Yeah, I don't well, and I think I think a sneak is normally the uh, the analytics play as well. I'm, I'm a little surprised that he. Um, that he didn't turn to that in that moment. But, um, you know, I, I did think it was interesting that he said after the game, like in an inches situation, we have to get that. That's really kind of the first time I've heard him kind of, I, I don't want to, I don't want to say this the wrong way. I don't want to say put his players on blast, but that was like the first time I've kind of heard him say publicly, like, Hey, you you guys got to make that play. He was like, ticked off, man. He was yeah, ticked. I think that's the first time I've really kind of sensed that from him, which I thought was interesting. Anybody have an issue with them not kicking the field goal there? Go up two scores with 545 left? I, th I think that's what I would have done. Yeah, I, I think I would have tried to go up two scores. I'm always about going for it. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but I, think right. Stefanski, I think uh, what Stefanski was basically saying, though, was, like, I've got Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt. Like, get me an inch. I know. You also have Cody Parkey, who makes everything. That's true. It's a 39-yarder. It's a 39-yard field goal with 5.45 left to go up two scores on Mike Glennon. So I, I get it, and I asked one of the ESPN guys on Twitter about win probability in that situation, and he said that kicking the field goal would have increased it slightly. And, and I get it. it. People are arguing with the spot. I know you have Kareem Hunt back there. I know you have a great offensive line. But, you know, all it takes is, you know, you slip in the backfield on the handoff or you, someone jet, you get a bad spot, whatever. I just, I, I thought you could have leaned on Cody Parkey there. And the idea that he wanted, he said, when I, and I asked him about it, he said he wanted to get the first down so they could work even more time off the clock. But if you get the sure score, now you're up two scores with five forty-five. You think the Jaguars are going to like drive down the field twice in that situation. I, I, I don't think it's indefensible, I think young coaches who are play callers and Ryan day at Ohio state has the same thing that you want to be aggressive. And I do think being aggressive is good. I, I don't think being aggressive a hundred percent of the time is necessarily right. And I, I just thought that could have been a chance for a smooth 39 yarder to go up 11. So Doug, I agree. And, then, and again, we're kind of splitting hairs because you said it, the wind probability only changes so much. Uh, I think we, when you, it, you apply it to this team specifically and, and, make it practical you look at Kevin Stefanski and you think of the, the strengths of this team they're strong running the ball they only get stronger as the game goes on so Kevin's probably looking at a 
a likely chance that they eventually score a touchdown. You know, how much, how often have we seen them wear down and have a cream? I mean, he just did it the other week, hurtling into the end zone. You, you, that one inch, those couple inches, not only then eventually gets you a touchdown likely, you're also running probably another two, two and a half minutes off the clock. So both time and added points and playing to what is your team's strength. I, I see where Kevin Stefanski is coming with that, but again, there's both sides of it. But again, I just think it's the strength of the team. Keep the ball late in the fourth quarter to when this team's been at their best. So why put it in the hands of a kicker? God, I think I interrupted you earlier on this point. I don't know. if you oh, No, I mean, I, I, I see how with that much time left, you could, you can understand kicking a field goal, but I think like what Ellis is alluding to there, keeping this defense off the field makes that decision a little easier to make, to go for it because yeah, you're up by two scores on Mike Glennon, but you know, he looked a little better than Mike Glennon has looked, uh, against the Browns defense and the Browns defense really struggled today to kind of contain that offense. I mean, I know you can't only be results oriented on this. You have to have sort of ways you do things. And, and that's what analytics would tell you. If you do the right thing enough times, it'll work out. It almost cost them the game. What they did almost cost them the game because they went for it. They didn't get it. The Jaguars marched down the field and scored. And if they get the two point conversion, you in overtime and who knows what happens. So like we, you know, I get it. I'm not going to kill them about it, but what they did failed. That is indisputable. So now if you want to say, well, that's not the only point that you do it a hundred times going forward on fourth and inches with this team over time is going to pay off. I get it today. It failed miserably, awfully. And so, you know, if you're up two scores on Mike Glennon, then if they do that March down the field, you're not in the situation where you're on the verge of going to overtime. Doug, I'll say this. Don't you think Kevin Stefanski probably thinks he likes his chances of even if they get that two-point conversion, having two minutes and 14 seconds to go on and set up the same field goal that we're now talking about? I mean, eventually a, a you know, 41 to 35-yard field goal eventually wins it. I mean, 214 is a long time. And the, with the way this team runs the ball in the fourth quarter, you, I mean, you assume those yards are coming. I mean, Nick Chubb was popping eight, nine, 10-yard runs there. So now we're believing in the two-minute drive led by the quarterback that nobody on this podcast believes in. No, I no, know, the, I know the, what you're the saying. Pressure, the pressure's not saying. there. It's a tie game. It's a tie game. There's not the pressure's not there. It's it's Nick Chubb's game-winning drive, not Baker's. I, I I said this with with Mary Kay off the top. I I thought, and maybe I'll I'll rethink this a little bit when I go back and kind of rewatch the game and, and look at some things a little closer. I thought this was a game where there were probably some more criticisms about Kevin Stefanski than we've had all season long. This might be one of his shakier games from a decision-making standpoint. And some of that is looking at results probably, but you know, if, if that fourth down converts, I don't know, maybe we're praising him for his aggression. Uh, but as Parmy points out, uh, he didn't run it twice. He had the third down where he rolled Baker out. He threw it behind Kareem Hunt and then they failed to convert on, on the fourth down. So I thought there were a couple head scratchers today from Stefanski and you know, did, did you guys feel like, Ellis, I'm curious about this. Did you feel like maybe he, there was this thing kind of going around on Twitter. I'm not saying Kevin Stefanski was on Twitter reading this stuff, but there was this thing kind of going around coming into this game that maybe this was like a, a get right game for Baker. Like maybe this was a chance to kind of get him into a rhythm and get him some confidence. And, and I wonder if maybe this coaching staff did take that approach a little too much early instead of just coming out and saying, we've got these two great running backs. We can just run this ball right down their throat, make this a three hour game and get out of here with eight wins. You know, I mean, do you feel like they forced it a little bit when it comes to passing? 
Dan, my jaw hit the floor when I saw them come on empty in the first play of the game. I, I, I couldn't believe it. I'm like, man. And I know, and Kevin's done that before. We, we, there have been a few games where he comes out and empty, but it's just more, you know, it's, it's at the 25 yard line or, or the, maybe the 30 or something, not your own nine, which then uh, got dicey real early and made it a lot more dicey than it needed to be. So, yeah, I think there is something to that though, where coaches, you have an understanding of the schedule um, where you're, strengths are Jarvis Landry is going to have an opportunity to beat all these guys in the slot. Let's get those two going. Doug mentioned the first play to Jarvis. That's one of those scheme plays that both get the, both the quarterback and pass catcher involved. And yeah, I, I think that is what went into consideration in the game plan, but I think it probably got uh, ignored or dropped or shelved right after that empty set. That, that kind of wakes you up. Like, okay, we, there's no reason to mess around with this anymore. There's their second drive. They came out with the play action to Jarvis, and I thought, well, that's the play you should have run right off the bat. Uh, where was that on <laughs> the opening drive? But yeah, that empty backfield. And maybe they saw something that they wanted to try to exploit uh, on that first play, but that was just – that was surprising to, to see that. And they it's, – it's like they've given up on play action on the opening drive a lot. It, it, we see it so often where they try these different things. They'll do empty backfield in the first drive, and then they, they – you know, it's an incompletion. They get a couple yards and then they're in a third and long. And the next drive, they come out and look like a totally different offense. And yep. it's like they're going to get fined if they run play action on the opening drive or something. All right, we're, we're going to wrap this thing up here, but I see a hand raised. So we'll go to Terry uh, has his hand raised. So I'm going to ask you to unmute. And once you get that alert, you can go ahead. Oh, he muted himself again. Let's see if you want to try again. There you go. Terry, you good? Yes. There we go. Yeah, trying to stay on the positive side here. Um, the one thing that I think, uh, as one of the earlier person talked about, is the, the coaching being so organized. I mean, consider this week. They hardly practiced together. Um, and, and there were no penalties, no disorganizations from, you know, previous regimes. We always had these crazy things going on from the sideline and we'd have constant penalties with some mistakes and false starts. And we have none of that. And uh, that's, uh, you know, I think that's where the big improvements have taken place. Right. And I think those are all great points because, you know, you are closing your facility over and over again this week you were practicing separately offense and defense all week long. The defense didn't actually have a practice um, until like Friday, like a real practice until Friday. Uh, you lost your tight ends coach, <laughs> you know, your tight ends coach wife had a baby and he couldn't make the trip. So now you're getting Callie Brownson ready to be your tight ends coach, which I know isn't like the end of the world to lose your tight ends coach for a game, but you know, and I, and I think Parmi touched on this a little bit too when, when she was talking earlier, like this coaching staff has handled adversity so well over and over and over again. And on top of everything else, you had Thanksgiving right in the middle of this. So you got, you know, you got to make sure guys are staying in line and doing the right things and, and giving them time to spend with their families and stuff and, and enjoy Thanksgiving. And you came out and it wasn't perfect, but none of that cost you here. And again, a couple, a couple of our insider subscribers responded earlier today when I did the pregame Q&A that, you know, is this a trap game or just calling it a trap game? And it certainly could have been for all the stuff swirling around it, knowing you're going to Tennessee next week. It certainly could have been 
and it seems like they avoided that. Yeah, I think what you're trying to say was the perfect week to play the Jaguars. Yes, <laughs> yes, exactly. And they did. I mean, Miles Garrett got COVID, and they went two and zero without him, which mm-hmm. is, I mean, all we've talked all year. That's that's the most. That's the best player on this team. He might be the best defensive player in the NFL, and they survived without him. And you can see against Carson Wentz and Mike Glennon, just plug him in. I mean, the, the difference that we would have seen in the game, and, and, and we're going to see it. Now we're going to see it against these better teams ahead. Whatever we see with the Browns, it should be with Miles Garrett on the field. Yeah, after after a weather trilogy in Cleveland and then a, a, just an odd week leading up to Jacksonville, we're going to learn a lot about this team in Tennessee, and I can't wait. This is this is what we've been building towards. Yeah, and, and you lost Denzel Ward on a Monday. He shows up and, and reports a calf strain. You didn't even come out of the game knowing that was something that was that was going to happen. Um, so yeah, this coaching staff deserves a ton of credit. And like you said, Alice, look, this is one that's going to get fun. Yeah. This is a genuinely huge game next week. Uh, Tennessee won today. They blew out Indianapolis. Derrick Henry saw the date and turned into late season Derrick Henry today. This is, this is fun. This is going to be a fun game and a fun post game show next week. But this is kind of what we've been waiting for here is to get to this part of the schedule, I think. But I will, and I wrote this earlier this week, just as a reminder for everybody. A year ago, the Browns were four and four against teams that had a 500 record or worse. This year, they're seven and zero. They're seven and zero against teams with a losing record. And go ask. There's only four or five teams in the league that have a perfect record against losing teams. So they all count the same. And I will quibble slightly with what Ellis said earlier about like this stretch is the season-defining stretch coming up. I, honest, I think they've been through their season-defining stretch. They're eight and three. If they lose their next two games, they can still go 10 and six and make the playoffs, right? We see people falling apart all over the place. Like they're eight and three. I don't, we're not sitting here saying they have to win, you know, four of their last five or whatever to make the playoffs. Like, I think, I think the fact that they, they got to this point after 11 games, their season's kind of already defined. So I actually think, I'm almost already pre-dreading next week's podcast after the game because it might be they got killed by the Titans. And I'm going to be saying, doesn't matter. They're eight and four. They're fine. And, and like, that's not going to be that fun. So I think they can beat the Titans. I think they can beat a good team. I think their best game's ahead, but if it's not, and if they get murdered next Sunday, they're still okay which is what going seven and zero against losing teams gets you yeah, two um, things, two things. Even if they only beat the giants and the jets the rest of the way, they still have a 75% chance of making the playoffs. And I'm looking forward to talking to Baker con about Baker's contract next week's uh, post game show. So, so you can look forward to that too. I'm just going to pre-populate the post, the headline, the story, all of that. I'm just, I'm going to get my work done ahead of time uh, mm-hmm. for that one. We're going to give Tyson, who of course was one of our guest pickers, uh, who I, you know, fondly call Tyler by mistake. Uh, Tyson, the last good thing he'll say, Anderson Deho made a play to help the Browns win. This was the Anderson Deho game. We all knew it was coming. Deho steps up. That's your last good thing to say about the Browns on this podcast because we are going to call it a uh, a pod. So we'll be with you all week long, back to our normal schedule, seven pods this week, and then of course we'll be with you after the Titans game in Nashville on Sunday. That should be a fun game for this football team. Browns fans, you got a big game in December. So uh, embrace it, enjoy it. Uh, Doug, Scott, Ellis, Mary Kay earlier, I'm Dan. Thanks everybody for listening.